Sales Tuners, Episode 11, Matt Nettleton, Managing Partner, Sandler Sales Training. You can do all the content marketing you want, but the problem with the internet is the internet only answers questions, and prospects don't ask very good questions. So if they, if they could ask the right question, they'd get the right answer. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time, it's time, it's time. It's Sales Sooner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Nagib Mahfouz, who said, you can tell whether a man is clever by his answers. You can tell whether a man is wise by his questions. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by my personal sales coach of the last 10 years, Matt Nettleton. Matt is an extraordinary character, having sold everything from Coca-Cola to software and even abrasive materials. He's a true competitor. If there's a scoreboard involved, he's in. Matt played, or rather didn't play, for the worst college football team in D1 history. And after an injury sidelined him for a summer, he ended up parlaying having asthma into a college scholarship. Matt became a student of the Sandler Selling System in 1999 and says that's when it just clicked for him. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. A big thanks goes out to the team at Okta for helping make this podcast possible. We all know that a better sales process creates a better buying experience, and Octave is transforming the way sales documents are created, distributed, and tracked. Check out a demo at Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salesooners.com slash Nettleton. But now let's get to the conversation where Matt talks about the start of his sales career, selling vacuums door to door. I got into sales like most people, which is by accident. Um, I played college football, ruptured all the ligaments and tendons in both my thumbs. I came home for the summer, had my thumb fixed, and the doc said, hey, no manual labor for six months, which I need the money. I'm not from a family that was sitting on great big wads of cash. and So I had to work. Answered a uh, a help wanted ad, said great money, limited effort. Uh, So I showed up. Open interview, 45 people in the room. Guy stands up and says, uh, listen, I'm going to get a cup of coffee. Uh, Just so everybody here knows, we sell vacuum cleaners door to door. If you want to leave, you've got about four minutes. So 45 people walk out. Two of us are left, myself and Paul Paul Muma. And uh, we kind of looked at each other and laughed and said, sure, why not? Went in, sold vacuum cleaners for that summer, won a scholarship, uh, you know, as it turns out, I'm allergic to cat hair and dust. Every vacuum cleaner presentation involved me having an asthma attack. Um, so I only worked about eight hours a week. Um, won a scholarship as the best salesman in three states. Closed 100% of my presentations. Um, and my average sales time was about 30 minutes versus a two and a half hour average for the company. It was a fun summer. That is such an incredible story. Uh, so many places I want to go to that I think we'll be able to unpack it as the show goes on today. So bring us up to speed and let's talk about today. How does someone buy from you today? So uh, today what I do is I'm I'm the owner of a Sandler sale, sales training franchise. Um, and if somebody wants to buy from us, typically it starts with a thought in their head. And the thought is we're doing pretty well, but every company is driven by revenue. 
You can have the greatest product in the world. You can have the most fantastic managers in the world. You can do everything right. But if you can't sell it, you don't have anything. And so most of the companies that we work with come to us and they say, hey, listen, we're doing pretty well. We've got a great product. We've got a great management team. We can deliver. We just don't have enough revenue. Or we have enough revenue. We just think we can have a lot more. And, and so we start a conversation. And the conversation is we do a one-hour interview. And we talk about the four areas that we're working with our businesses and its strategy, structure, staff, and skills. And based on those answers, we decide whether or not it makes sense for us to establish a relationship. And as I said at the top, uh, you have been my coach for the last 10 years, so I've taken in advantage of several of those. Um, I want to talk just real quick about how I got to know you. So a uh, mutual uh, connection introduced us and uh, I had a new company that I was starting up and he said, hey, Matt might be able to help connect you with some other people. Let's see if there's some some uh, synergies there. And uh, I remember we sitting in a, in a Starbucks in Indianapolis and I probably spent 10 minutes telling you what I was doing, maybe 15. And all I could notice was you staring out the window. And, you know, I'm a young kid, probably 25, I think at this time. And I'm just like, what, like, what is going on? Like what? And I finally just confronted you. I was like, am I, is there something wrong? And what was your reaction? I, I believe I told you it was the worst sales call I had ever been a part of and that you were awful. And that was the second time in literally two weeks that I had heard that. Uh, and again, being a brand new business owner, hearing that from two people that I you know, am supposed to respect or look up to, my mind was absolutely blown. And, and we worked a lot on my beliefs, my attitude, my techniques as, as how I've gone through this. So I want to talk you know, some about that today. But um, you've, you've sold everything, Matt. You, like I said, you've, you've sold Coca-Cola, you've sold homes, uh, which is more business to consumer, uh, abrasive materials. You've coached people all through all kinds of different things. What has led you to your success in sales? Um, my success in sales, it, it really comes down to two things. One, when I plan, I am very focused on the outcome and very agnostic on the process. When I sell, I am very focused on the process and very agnostic on the outcome. Unpack that a little bit for me. What, is it, what does that mean? So what that means is uh, when, I, when I sit down and I make a plan, a large part of my plan is figuring out what I actually want to have happen. You know, if I want to grow my business by 25%, that's great. So I'm very focused on that. Um, what I'm not focused on is what are the steps that I have to get there? And by not focused, what I mean is I'm not sold on. This is the only way it can be done. Most salespeople, when they really get into trouble, they get into trouble because they figure what they have always done will work again tomorrow. And so they get very focused on repeating the behaviors that got them to where they are. You know, there's a great book. It's, it's title is What Got You Here Won't Get You There, Right. And, and, and that really, you don't really have to read the rest of the book. That's the summary. That's the cliff notes. Then you just have to start thinking about that. And then you have to be open to the idea that there are things that you can take from other people. You know, one of the earlier podcasts that you did talked about A-B testing, right? I'm a big believer in plan, execute, measure, replan. But I've, I've not really done a lot of A-B testing. Well, I sent out an email this week. That email was actually split into two groups with two different titles. And I have gotten a significantly different uh, response from the two titles. So I'll continue to do that now because I can, I digitally, you can do A-B testing on everything. Yeah, I think you're talking maybe about Derek Grant a little bit. I remember yep. that conversation. I think I'm, I fall guilty to some of the stuff that you're talking about right now, right? So I've had a couple of successes in my career now with a couple of different companies. 
And you're right. Like I have what I thought was the blueprint. And now I'm trying to apply that now to another company. And I'm learning that, man, it's just, it's not the exact same. I can't just repeat that entire uh, process. How are you able to work with your clients to, to get them out of that, that mindset? Um, the biggest thing that I am effectively is professionally curious. I ask questions. I ask a lot of questions. I am very sequential in the questions that I ask, and I don't start with high-level complex stuff. I spend a lot of time doing fundamentals, intellectually simple basics, things that people don't really spend a whole lot of time thinking about, that, but they make all the difference. So discovery calls are, I mean, they're the, they're the precipice of, of having a successful sales process, a, su- a successful sales cycle. Give me some ideas, like how, how is it that you're doing this? What does it mean that you're not doing the complex stuff? Well, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, different levels to, to questions. I mean, it, I always teach that there's three levels of questions. One level is, what are you doing? The second level is, how are you doing it? The third level is, why are you doing it? Everybody likes to ask the big fancy, why are you doing it questions. Very few people take the time to focus on, like, before we get started, what are you doing? Right. One of the exercises that we do a lot is we teach people how to ask questions and and people skip past the whole what cycle of questions they, they think they know. And in sales, what you don't know won't hurt you. It's what you do know that just don't ain't so that will kill you. I, I, I believe it because, again, I've worked with you for a long time. But again, I keep coming back. I still fall victim to this quite a bit. You know, I, I sell mostly into the enterprise space and I, in my head, in my opinion, I sell to a sophisticated buyer who, if I start asking them those basic questions, I get dismissed and I get shut down very quickly. So when you get that feed or that pushback. Well, first of all, I don't get that pushback because I don't ask those questions without permission. Right. So that's one of the things that that really is vital in sales is all sales has to be permission based. So one of the things that I will tell people up front is, listen, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. Some of them are going to be pretty basic, but I need to make sure I understand what's actually happening. Uh, I for a long time, I have said that I am a sales Marxist. Right. Groucho Marx said a child of five should be able to understand this. Bring me a child of five. I think that unless a child could understand what I'm talking about early on, I'm probably missing some vital details. It's still difficult for me to completely wrap my head around that because, um, you know, again, if I'm just asking those basic level questions, it's like, what did you not do your homework right before you came in here? And, uh, you know, you've already said it today, but it's not what you don't know that will hurt you. It's what you do know. And, and having that um, mental shift, I guess, to be able to, to get through it. It's a tough one. But if you think about it, when you walk into an emergency room, right, you're bleeding. They know everything about you, right? They, everything that's important is visible to them. The first thing they do is height, weight, blood pressure. Oh, what's his temperature? Oh, okay. I mean, these are fundamentals. It doesn't matter if you're going for a physical or you're going for trauma. It's, it's the first thing they do. And so when you're, when you're dealing in sales, you've got to remember, if the experts do it that way, there's probably a good reason. You might want to just copy. So you talked about how um, you don't ask these questions without getting permission first. You're permission-based in that. Um, there's also some, some bonding and rapport to that. You've worked with me a lot on the idea of disc profiling, mm-hmm. which I just thought it's another profiling system that is irrelevant to me. You've talked to me about uh, the, the differences b- between visual learners, 
uh, audio learners and kinesthetic learners. What what role does that truly play in your world? Well, there's a there's a phrase in sales that says people buy from people, and I think that that's too long. Um, I think one of the most important things that everybody has to remember is people buy, and it's people, right? And people come in all different shapes and sizes, but they also come in all different with all different types of operating systems. You know, a, a disk profile will tell you how that person processes information. Um, I happen to be a high D. I'm impulsive. I'm quick. I'm short. I work with a lot of high eyes. They're none of that. You know, they love people. Every conversation starts with, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Unless it's like Wednesday or Thursday, because then it's, what are you going to do this upcoming weekend? You know, I work with S's, people who are very calm and loyal. And, and they're not worried about what you're going to do this weekend, but they are worried about your family and where you're from. And and then I work with C's and I'm packed and married to a very high C. And they're not worried about people at all. They're, they're worried about tasks and checklists and details. And so understanding how that person is going to receive and process information allows you to adjust your style. If I was just me, if I just did whatever I was natural to me, I'd fail repeatedly. So I've got to know how to adjust me to get them to, to, to manage the information that allows them to make decisions. In today's world of sales, a lot happens over the phone or over go to meeting, something along those lines. Uh, how do you get that information through a phone call? Well, there's, there, you know, flowery language. You know, what, what type of words are they using? How detailed are their questions? How basic are their questions? How, how short is their decision cycle? What, what's the pace of, of their speech? Um, you know, one of the things that, that people always talk about is uh, primary sensory dominance, visuals, auditories, and kinesthetics. With, I, I happen to be an auditory, right? So auditories are known for having pauses in their speech, and it's a little bit slower. You know, visuals are going to be quicker. They're going to be more flowery. You know, kinesthetics are very it's bits and pieces. So it comes out in rapid staccato bursts. Um, you, you, you've got all these clues that people are throwing off all the time. You know, it doesn't matter. And, and again, there's three things we focus on. Obviously, there's disc profiling, there's birth order, and there's primary sensory dominance. Even in birth order, you know, as, as a firstborn, I have a different way of I looking at the world than most middleborns or lastborns. Um, my my daughter, who is a year young or a year and a half younger than my son, um, looks at the world very differently than my son because he's always been there. He's always been bigger. He's always kind of run the show. Except now I've got a third kid, eight years younger. Right, that third kid now runs the show over everybody, and she's really our only child. So as as you start to watch people as they grow up. They take that with them. And if you can't figure that out, you make your job more difficult. I, I've said this a million times. I did not get into sales because I have a strong work ethic. Um, I, I can guarantee very few things in life, but nobody around me is going to work less than I do. <laughs> I, I mean, clearly I'm, I'm chuckling and I want to say you don't really mean that. Yeah, I, I understand you want to say that. I, now, there's a difference between working and thinking, right? So give me a, give me a lever, I'll move the world. And, and so I spend a lot of time thinking about systems and processes and, and how can I most effectively accomplish an outcome without running the most difficult process possible. Once I get into a sales call, I'm very focused on the process that I'm running, right? The process that I'm running on a sales call involves decoding the prospect. 
Because if it doesn't, I have to work very hard. But it takes thought and planning and learning and curiosity to learn how to decode people over time. So I want to unpack that just a little bit. Um, so you do a lot of planning, but so what do you spend time on on a weekly basis? What are your what are you doing? What are your activities? So there is a there's a, a prospecting aspect to my life, right? I have to prospect. Prospecting comes in in really two varieties. There's active prospecting. That's cold calls. It's cold calls. It's cold calls. Uh, prospecting sucks. Get over it and get on with it. Um, there's no way around it. If you're not talking to people who aren't giving you money, you're not growing your business. So you got to do that. So that's part of my job. The other part is passive prospecting. It's how do you identify targets? How do you reach out to them with emails, with blog posts, with videos, you know, all the basics of fundamental guerrilla marketing, as it were. Um, you know, I use direct mail. I still use letters and envelopes. I, nothing has ever produced a higher result for me than that. Um, but that, but but my life is dominated by prospecting. So, in the in the prospecting arena, people will say the phone is dead. You've got large corporations uh, getting rid of voicemail. You've got uh, people like not having desk phones anymore. Uh, what do you What are your thoughts behind that when you hear that? Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. The uh, the the mediocre person on the phone is dead. Um, now, if you say, "Oh, all people on the phone are dead," well, you're kidding yourself. Uh, the reality is, sales is changing, right? Sales has traditionally been the the part of the workforce that was filled by people that nobody else wanted, right? I, I originally got hired by Coca Cola on a five dollar bet. Um, so what does that what does that mean? A five dollar bet. <laughs> so the way the way that I got hired by Coca Cola. They had on-campus interviews. They interviewed 30 people at Columbia where I went to school. And they picked five of us and flew us down to Atlanta. Well, the day that they flew us down to Atlanta, there were over 500 people that they had flown in to interview for three positions. So they, they had taken over an entire hotel. We had to take some cognitive tests. We had to take some other tests. And then we had three interviews with managers. Um, my grades in college were not good. I'm, I'm an awful formal student. I'm just not, that's just not it for me. Uh, doesn't involve me asking questions. It involves me answering questions. I'm no good at that. And, uh, so I, I got into my interviews and by the time I got to my third interview, I was with the regional vice president and the regional vice president just looked at me and said, you can sell better than anybody else here. I said, okay. He said, but your grades suck. I said, yeah. Well, I didn't realize you needed me to get grades in, at Coke. And he goes, well, typically what we do is we hire people who have good grades. I said, oh, okay. Can they sell? He goes, well, typically they can't. So I left. I had taken the, another job previously. I was already hired. I just wanted free miles. And they told me I could have drinks at the airport if I flew down for the day. So I was in. Um turns out that I got hired because the regional vice president talked to the guy who managed the lowest per capita consumption Coke territory in America and said, this guy can sell, but he's going to be different than everybody else we have. $5, my guy who, John, was my manager, uh, he bet the regional vice president that I would outsell everybody else in the company. Um, and I did. 
So for the first three years, I sold out. I, I outsold any other two people combined in the company. Um, but I also wasn't invited to regional meetings. Interesting, because you were so different. Because I was so different and my mindset on everything was just different than what they were doing. When I hear that, you know, just the whole Coca-Cola story, I think how much sales is going into selling Coca-Cola, right? Like there's a contract at the restaurant or, or whoever's, they have that contract, they're just buying more. <clears throat> what exactly were you doing to outsell your peers? So um, where, I, where I was working, Madison, Wisconsin, uh, Coca-Cola USA, who I worked for, had gone in and sued a number of restaurants who were serving rum and Pepsi, but calling it rum and Coke. So I was not calling on national chains fresh out of college. I was calling on uh, locally owned businesses, mom and pop. They own four or fewer restaurants. And every one that I walked into, uh, I'd say, hey, Matt Nettleton with Coca-Cola. And they would say, huh, you guys sued us before for serving rum and Coke or calling it rum and Coke, and but serving rum and Pepsi, don't come back. Yeah, sales calls over. Sales calls over, right? Um, well, I, I figured out how to get around that. I spent a lot of time developing a system. I actually worked very closely with the local bottler, which is a different company. Um, and we came up with a, a process that allowed us to dramatically increase market share um, by finding people who were open to talking to us. Uh, it didn't involve me working twice as hard. In fact, uh, the beauty of it was I ended up spending an awful lot of time taking the local bottler guys out to play golf, out to drink beer because they were doing such a great job supporting me. So it's definitely much more of the uh, relationship sale at that point than it was an actual. It, it was a relationship sale to an intermediate area that nobody else had used. Um, you know, I don't think to this day uh, anybody has really spent as much time working with the local bottler as I did. Gotcha. So Matt, you know, you, you subscribe to the Sandler way, right? The, the sales philosophy and the sell, selling system of Sandler. Uh, you got books to out right now, the challenger sale, uh, predictable revenue. Um, you know, these are the new hot things. When you, when you hear that, like, what is, what do you think about that? Well, so I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning when I was with Coca-Cola, uh, you know, they put it through a lot of sales training. They put us through Carew. They put us through Miller Hyman. They put us through, uh, Wilson, PSS, Xerox. I did uh, conceptual selling. I did strategic selling. Um, and those were all good. In fact, I, at one point, I think we spent some time with Spin and Carnegie. Those were all good systems. Uh, they didn't work for me. Um, now, when I sit down and, and I hear about things like predictable revenue or the challenger sale, and there's a million different versions of those, um, I, I like them. And they are great for individual steps as part of a methodology in the case of the challenger sale or a philosophy about how you run your methodology in the case of the challenger sale. And it's great for selling process in terms of predictable revenue. Uh, I've trained uh, companies that are very familiar with predictable revenue, um, really big SaaS based companies. I've done training for them because they know that inside their sales process, they need a sales methodology. I have helped people figure out how to apply the ideas behind the challenger sale into their sales methodology, because I think it has a place. Um, you cannot be an uninformed, mediocre salesperson nowadays and succeed. It's not going to happen. The, the sales challenger sales method, the idea that 
you should be selling from authority and that you should know what you're talking about is absolutely true. Um, but it has to fit into a bigger picture. You, you've hit on this concept of, of the mediocre salesperson is dying. That's going away. Um, the, 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 another hot thing is, you know, the idea of content marketing, right? And just like give them a, a case study and give them this that's very relevant. Um, basically just almost solving their problems for them, right? And, but I've heard you say before, no free consulting, right? Like to help me balance that out in today's world. So there's, there's two different things that you're talking about there. You know, we call it content marketing and, and, and that's what it is. Um, it used to be that a salesperson's job was to go out and read brochures to prospects, right? So you'd have the big trade show, everybody would come in, they'd see the new thing, the salesperson would explain the new thing and how it would work and everything. That's no longer really how it works. You go on the internet and you do like even a mediocre search for something, you're going to find out a lot about it. You're going to find a lot of information. As, as a salesperson, your job isn't to provide information. Your job is to provide context. And that's, that's really a, a big shift. You can do all the content marketing you want. But the problem with the internet is the internet only answers questions. And prospects don't ask very good questions. So if they, if they could ask the right question, they'd get the right answer. They wouldn't need a salesperson. But the reality is salespeople know more. They have more context in their area of expertise than a prospect could ever or should ever develop. Right? They just don't need that level of expertise. So a salesperson's job is not to provide information. You can do that with content marketing. You can throw white papers and blue papers and pink sheets and blue sheets. You can throw all that stuff out there. You can give it to everybody. But the reality is the salesperson has to be able to help the prospect discover which parts of that white paper, which parts of that content are actually relevant and impactful to their business. But there, there are studies out there that say 57% or more of the buying cycle is done before a prospect ever reaches out to a salesperson. How does that align with what you're saying? Well, what that aligns with is the salesperson had best know how to manage the process to introduce the correct questions, right? People come into this, to, to the buying process believing that they understand their problem that they understand their solution and that all you're supposed to do is make sure the specs match and the price is low. And, and, and the reality is in today's world, that's not what, a, you don't need a salesperson to do that. You need Amazon and Google. And if you just need to make sure the specs are right and the price is low, it's not a transact. It's, it's not a transaction. I want anything to be part of. Um, I, I work with people who do more complex work. I work with people who might take a piece of software and sell it into an enterprise solution. They, they take a, a, a manufacturing process and they, they expand it, um, but they're not putting together you know, slot A into tab B. It's not cookie cutter. It's more complex. And if people are involved in the sale, then people have to understand the questions they need to ask, the questions that they need answers for, and they need to understand how to put the products and services they sell together in a way that addresses the unique problem brought by the prospect. So with, with your experience, Matt, uh, both your own as well as the work that you've done with, with your clients, what do you think is the number one thing that, held, that holds salespeople back from hitting their goals and, and being successful? Well, there's, it's a twofold process, right? So the first one is the number one thing that people screw up in sales is they don't do the behavior. They don't do the required activities to prospect. That's the number one thing. Without question, they don't believe it's their job, and so they don't do it. 
Uh, elaborate on that. What do you mean? What what aren't they doing? They're they're not. They're, there's activity. They're doing activity all day long. They're 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 doing some activity. They're doing mediocre activity. They're doing they're 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 doing what they have to do to get by. They're not actually doing what it takes to produce a result. One of my uh, one of my clients gave me a great quote when I was talking to him. I it was it was our initial one hour interview, and I asked how many of his people were unwilling to prospect. His answer was Matt. Everybody here is prospecting. Some people are prospecting for new business, and some people are prospecting for new jobs. That's fantastic, Matt. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, it's gonna be time for the money round. So you don't go away, and sales tuners, don't you go away either. Sales tuners, Octave has built a sales productivity platform that streamlines the workflow for creating and managing your sales documents. Everything from presentations and quotes to all of your proposals and contracts. They can pull data from your CRM, CPQ, and ERP systems, saving you time and accelerating each sales opportunity. Octave has been around since 2010 and now serves more than 400 organizations. I'm talking global enterprises, guys, like GE and Siemens, national brands like Angie's List and FedEx Office, and even industry innovators like Double Dutch and Lindemood Bell. You've got to check them out. Go to Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com to learn more. And hey, during your demo, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Sales Tuners podcast. We are back, and it is time for the money round. Matt, are you ready for the money round? I am. All right. Matt, what's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Uh, the one thing that's trans- that's contributed most to my transformation has been a belief that I control my destiny. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you spend the next 30 days doing? I would find whatever industry I was going into, the person that made the most money, and I would follow them doggedly for 30 days, I would copy everything that they do. What phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? I hate to lose. Absolutely, absolutely hate to lose. What's a book, Matt, that you've read multiple times or always find yourself uh, recommending to others? So I I, I could give you a couple here, but the one that I have read the most is uh, Atlas Shrugged. And I, I read that every year. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Matt's recommendation of Atlas Shrugged for free, head over to salestuners.com slash book, and there you can sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible and check out their 150,000 selections. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Matt, what's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Um, the biggest piece of advice that I would have is more cowbell probably isn't the answer. How would, uh, I'll get you out of here on this one. How would someone find you or connect with you after this show today? Uh, simplest way to find me actually is on LinkedIn. If you type in Matt Nettleton, I think there's four of us. I'm the one that does Sandler sales training. Nice. Very good. Matt, thanks so much for being on the show. Having worked with Matt for more than 10 years, I learned something new from him every single time we talk. And today was no different. I want to get to my top takeaways from our conversation. Number one, be professionally curious. The things you don't know in sales won't kill you. It's the things you do know that just aren't so that will. Don't skip past the what cycle of questioning. Starting basic can help gain key understandings to build a strong foundation before going deeper. Number two, provide context to the content. The job of a salesperson is not to provide information, but rather context. 
Prospects have access to more content than ever before, but salespeople have more context in their area of expertise than a prospect should or could ever develop. Sharing this context is essential. And number three, understanding people. Learn how to adjust yourself to address the person you're selling to. There are so many indicators in every conversation that illuminate the personality type of the person you are communicating with. Is their preferred communication style visual, auditory, or kinesthetic? What's their disc profile? Unlocking these concepts can drastically improve your sales process. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guest, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.SalesTuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay-